So it's good to be with you. Hope you've had a great week here at uh, Pepperdine. Uh, Kevin Wilkinson, Navy Chaplain, and this is Shipmates and Communion Plates. Uh, my son came up with that, so I'd love to take the glory on that, but um, we have a lot of fun with the title. But I hope you're here for, uh, maybe you, you know someone that's in the military, maybe you've been curious about chaplaincy, maybe um, you had a, a loved one that was in the military long ago, and maybe have people at your church, and so it's just kind of exploring that world together, so that's a lot of what this class is about. Um, so if there, we'll have some time for some questions at the end, and so I'll try to save some time, and I'll stick around for a little bit afterwards too. Uh, but I'd like to go ahead and begin, and so the format for the class is, I'm going to begin just a little bit of an introduction about me and my background. I think that might help introduce kind of how I got in or what was a part of that formation. And then we're going to do a little bit of imagination right after that. We're going to have some scenarios. And I'm going to provide some uh, real ministry settings uh, in the military for a chaplain. And we're just going to have some fun discussion together and kind of think, yeah, what would you do uh, if you were in that situation? Then we'll talk about my uh, actual Navy chaplain assignments. And I'll unpack that for a little bit. Uh, I have some data and demographics I'd like to share with you about chaplains, about the military, and uh, I think that will give us a little more awareness of what this world is all about and the people that serve. And then finally, at the end, some observations and some suggestions that I would like to give. So let's go ahead and uh, just begin with a quick word of prayer. God, right now, there are countless people who are serving. Some of them are on a ship at sea. Some of them are with soldiers or Marines out in the field. Maybe they are in the Middle East. God, there are our guardsmen and Coast Guard who are always ready and prepared. Um, God, there are our airmen who are trying to do all they can to keep us safe in the skies. God, there's just so many, and we just lift them all up, and we're grateful right now uh, for them. Would you be with them, be with their families, and bless them today? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you would just raise your hand, if, you've ever, if you have a, ever had a family member, a, a relative, a close friend that's ever served in any capacity in the military, just raise your hand. All right, so a lot of you. Okay. Me too. Me too. Uh, so I've been a chaplain for nine years, and uh, I was for five years I was a full-time uh, minister on the civilian side. A few of you in here know, saw me at that time. And uh, they have a lot of dirt on me, I'm sure. Uh, I am a fourth generation to serve in the military. I'll talk a little more about that. Most important thing for me is my family. Just rock solid for me uh, is a strength. So I love my family, and they are so uh, important in this work. Uh, I grew up in Florida uh, at the Melbourne Church of Christ. Some of you might know Steve Puckett. Uh, he speaks at Pepperdine. He's been here for many years. Uh, he was our first minister. He actually baptized me when I was a teenager. And he was a volunteer chaplain in addition to his roles as the minister on staff. And so when I was a kid, I remember thinking, well, what in the world does a chaplain do? What is that? You know, you can give a sermon, sure, as a minister and, you know, baptize and have Bible studies and reach out. But a chaplain, and he did that like with the football team and I think with the, with the police. And so it was always curious to me. I watched that as a kid. You know, what does a chaplain do? Uh, there was a man, I'll never forget this man named Lucky Smith. He was an old sailor uh, in our church. You probably had folks like that, an old veteran who loved the, the military and those connections. 
He would always sing America the Beautiful when it was his turn to, to lead a hymn at church. Uh, he would sing always one of those Americana songs that had, had a lot to do with faith. So I remember thinking about these worlds even as a little kid. Uh, when I was at Harding University, my social club, I was the chaplain. And when I was at ACU, I had an internship. So all these, I think, were a little bit of building blocks, some early formation for me. I never, ever thought I would join the military. In fact, I thought, kind of like Jonah, where if that's the east, I'm going west. <laughs> so I really did. I, and so when I joined the 33, it was a big, uh, awesome uh, change. And it was a welcome thing. Um, and then finally, right before when I joined, we were in Abilene, Texas at the Highland Church of Christ and ECU. And the, the staff there was just so healthy and caring. The, uh, Beth um, Reeves there, the congregational care minister, she's actually a chaplain now at the police there locally. And, and I also had a friend who became a Navy chaplain at the school. So all these things together really were a part of my formation and so much more. Um, when I step back and think about these formative years, but also my own family, this is a just a snapshot. Have you ever heard of a genogram? It's kind of like a family tree, but let me just give you the, the main thing here. So this is me right here, 42 years old, and my uh, family. And then I have on the sides my brother's family, my sister's family. But as you kind of go up, my parents who are here today as well. But the colors on here represent someone that was in the military. So my dad... Larry served in the Coast Guard. Um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was also in the Coast Guard. Um, there are others as well that are some in-laws or some connections. My brother's wife, Cheryl, her dad, and so forth. So when I look back even at my own family tree, I saw these influences that I never had really been connected with. One of the oldest ones is Jesse Ford. He's my great-grandfather uh, that was in the uh, cavalry, apparently, way back when. Looks like a pretty slick dude. Um, but that's kind of my lo longest connection. One that's most meaningful to me is my own dad, who's here. Uh, and so I remember this picture around the house that was that happened long before me. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've had some pictures on the wall that you've you've seen folks you're like, you know, what was that like for you? Uh, my, my mom's parents, uh, Alfred and Maxine Hunt, and he did 28 years in the Coast Guard. There was a shadow box, if you're familiar with the military, this is his shadow box. And this image of him looking out, I don't know who he was looking at, but it always caught my eye, like, what was Grandpa like? Why did he like to go to sea? And uh, he passed away just a few months before I was born, so it's almost like this missed connection that I longed for. And I didn't realize it for 33 years, but that was a part of my background. And then finally, one more, you can't see him, but my great aunt Joanne, her uh, husband Ray, uh, he is way in the back with his ship crew. This is way back when, I think it's Los Angeles, 1945, I believe. But he was in the Navy. So again, it's just more background of thinking, you know, why in the world did I become a chaplain? Um, I get that question all the time. Why did, why did you serve? Why did you become a chaplain? I get asked, you know, what do you, what do you even do anyway? And then there's my personal phrase, which is really a myth. It's not true, but people say, you know, I'm so sorry, you can never, you can never talk about Jesus, can you? And I'm like, actually, I do talk about Jesus. Uh, so I, I love to dispel those myths uh, about that. Um, but those are the things people, they often ask. When I became a chaplain, I thought first, you know, who was the chaplain that I first remembered? If you ever watched the show MASH, 
Um, and I remember thinking, is it really like that? And some chaplains would talk to me and say, well, yes and no. And uh, I watched the video series at the time on HBO, Band of Brothers, very powerful. And there were some chaplains that were seen on there. Um, but there was one other one in 2009, the year that I joined. Uh, Jenny introduced, we, we watched this HBO documentary called Baghdad ER. And it was about an army medical team. And there was a chaplain. And I watched it, and there's this quote. This is from the film crew, and here's the quote. Anytime somebody is seriously injured, the chaplain would just appear at the bedside. He never seemed to sleep, he never seemed to rest, and he always, he's always there trying to comfort the soldiers. I really resonated with that comforting to people who are serving. I don't know what's up with that, but I just long to be a part of that, I think. And it makes me think about this passage when I joined, I had a little ceremony, and my parents and my wife and my kids and sister were there, and there was a lot of loved ones and friends, and I had this passage read because it meant so much to me about what I thought about chaplaincy, and I think this is what a lot of chaplains that you might know think about too. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful passage. And when I think, if there's one passage, passage that I just want to sum up, when I think about chaplaincy with the military, that that's one of them. It's just, I think about times in my own life when I really have sensed that God has comforted me. I've had some tough years, I bet you have too, in your life that have been very formative. You've had things that have happened to you. And I bet that somewhere within that faith journey, you have had glimpses of those comforting seasons within it. And so when I wanted to sort of serve with those who serve, I thought, man, I sure have been comforted. I would love to help comfort in some way. So that's something when I think about my introduction to the Chaplain Corps. All right, so I'm going to give a couple scenarios. I'm going to just kind of mix it up a little bit here. One of the things that, at least the Navy culture, I'm not, I don't want to get an inter-service rivalry, okay, because that will take us down a whole other road. <laughs> but I have some coins uh, in the military, and that's, in the Navy particularly, this is a very meaningful uh, gift or gesture or an attaboy kind of moment. And I have a couple of them that are going to relate to, so I'm just going to pass this first one around. Actually, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give them all to you at once, and you can just kind of look at it for a few seconds and pass around. I, I do need those at the end of our class, because we get challenged in the military if we have those. But I'm going to give you a little scenario, okay? So each of these coins relate to these scenarios. So let's try a few of them. All right, first one. So imagine you are a chaplain assigned to an infantry battalion of 1,200 Marines. Currently, you are supporting them at a month-long training exercise in the mountains. Due to their current mission, they are spread out across many miles. Uh, they miss their families. It's cold. It's rainy. It's a rainy Sunday. You've hiked six miles to reach them. You have a 90-pound pack on you. And you find one of their platoons, about 40 Marines, encamped in foxholes. And a senior leader greets you, requests pastoral care for a few of the Marines who are having a hard time, and asks for a Christian service in the field. Uh, fortunately, you've brought a field kit, which has communion. Um, so I'm wondering, how might you respond? If you were a chaplain, if you wanted to minister to folks in that setting, how might you respond in maybe any specific passages of Scripture 
that you might utilize in that context? Uh, or is there a specific song or a prayer that you would include in the service? Let's just kind of open this up for a little bit here. What would you do? It's all kind of fun and games and imagination. What would you try? Let them talk about what they're going through. Yeah, great starting point. Let them talk what they're going through. Ask them if they got a special worship song that they want. Mm -hmm. Meaningful worship, I bet you they have some due to their context. Mm -hmm. One that really stands out. Yeah. What else? Prayer request. Prayer request, always good. I do that every time, and that, that never, uh, that, that is never wrong. <laughs> it is always right, and it's, there's never just one request, right? They're really longing for connection to, to God. Yeah. Any others? Yes. Maybe some kind of encouraging message about returning home or, you know, mm -hmm. Bible story about a group of people being away from home and yeah. their longing to be back as well. Absolutely. Some good psalms for that. Yeah, psalms. Uh, oh, the psalms. Or psalms. Yeah. Yeah, psalms about that. Yeah, it really just gives honest emotion to their state and their longing for something. Yeah, and you think about the journey, where they're at, but where they're going to go and kind of Sounds like what you're seeing is trying to give them a bit of hope, some glimpses of goodness, some good news of what might be ahead. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, as well as some uh, just empathizing is with like other like people have been here before and like other people have felt the way you are feeling now and there's this hope that it will get there. Yeah, absolutely. So important in chaplaincy to empathize, to connect emotionally, spiritually with them in those moments. You have to be very open to that. Maybe one more. Anything else on this? Something I hear occasionally is thank you for your service. Yeah. They're out there wondering sometimes maybe what they're doing. Anybody appreciate that? Yeah, just so it's a simple statement, but mm -hmm. it's affirming. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You would probably Try to make sure you make time for them to yeah. say things that they have on their heart. That quality time that a chaplain could bring to them. Because if you've been a part of not just military, but a lot, you know, a big organization where you might feel like a number, where you're always told where to go, maybe not even a thing for yourself. You ever had those times in your life? You don't have to be in the military to have that, but if you give someone just some sacred space to say, you know, I really care about you and the gesture. That's that's powerful. Powerful, powerful. Yeah. And to express some gratitude. It's little gestures of connection. All right, great. Well, let's, we're going to switch it up here. Here's another one. So you're a chaplain. So that was with the Marines. Here we're going to be on a, on a ship, okay? So you're the only chaplain on board the USS Dewey, a naval destroyer ship of about 350 sailors. Your crew has been on deployment for about three months. You've been sailing in the South China Sea. Suddenly, the commanding officer of the ship announces some concerning news. Another ship, the USS Fitzgerald, has recently collided with an oil tanker ship, and they're just 50 nautical miles away. Rumors that several sailors have likely died, and their ship has requested search and rescue support from your crew, especially needing sailors who are trained in damage control. So it's possible that they might see some traumatic things there in that help that they will never forget. So your ship will arrive in just two hours. You walk towards the damage control offices 
to minister to some sailors, what do you say? What do you do? This is a real scenario. You heard about the news or some collisions in the last two years. Yeah. What, what would you What would you try? What do you think? Possibly talk about the biblical characters that were put in a place for a specific time, and maybe that's their that's their calling for right now. Yeah. And encourage them. Mm-hmm. Passages like maybe Esther or others where they're in a season of duress, but maybe, just maybe, that God has them there to be, to do something pretty important, some, some pretty special, some pretty spiritual. Yeah. Good? Others? Philippians 4, like some encouraging Bible verses. Philippians 4 is a great book about encouragement. Yeah. Philippians 4. Mm-hmm. Not be anxious about anything. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's hard to, when we're feeling anxious about some concerning news, it's hard to not model some kind of anxiousness within us as caregivers, but maybe through God's help. Um, yeah, this was a real scenario. I, I was on the Dewey uh, ship when this happened. I was on deployment, and um, what a powerful ministry it was. You know, the, um, so yeah, it's, I, I don't know what all you heard in the news, but I can tell you, you'd be very proud of our folks who responded in a caring way. Yes? Kevin, in those situations, do you ever, is there ever an opportunity to sing? Or, or talk, do you, how do you handle that? When, sometimes a song can be your most comforting, um, something to hold on to. Yes. I just wondered if you ever use that or how do you use it? Because I, mean, I remember Terry talking about when he was, you know, in basic training, a song that, that where they went to chapel made such an impact on him. I just wondered if you ever used that in your poetry and music. Now I come from a, a family that is a big believers in music and poetry, so I'll read that. But yes, I believe in our faith that music, a song that has been meaningful to us over the years. Uh, if we had time, I bet you all got one. All of a sudden, we probably have at least a few. But one that is just speaks to you and connects to you in a particular season of challenge, maybe a season of wilderness. Um, I, in my worship times on ship, because I would, on Sundays, we'd have uh, services on ship. And I, was, I would try to be very intentional also about the music. And part of that was finding maybe what, what are some of the songs that they've enjoyed as well. Um, I remember, this isn't a song, but this is a kind of a, a mantra or a, a, a blessing that I would often do. It was one I got when I was at ACU. I was in a very, I was in my last semester of school, and I was feeling really overwhelmed. And I'll never forget, Dr. Jeff Childers stood in front of us. He said, ladies and gentlemen, all will be well. All will be well. All will be well. I, I got to tell you, that that connected with me in a way that few other things did at that time. So yeah, so poetry, music, um, all the different efforts of our praise, or even our laments, too, our fears. The Psalms are a beautiful place for all of that stuff. So yeah, I, I want to welcome that. And so yeah, I, we definitely had a lot of music times on ship. Very important. 
All right. Uh, just a couple more here, and then we'll move forward. First, you're on a first assignment. You're supporting 1,500 Marines. It's the largest battalion in the country. Uh, you're at Camp Pendleton here in California. It's beautiful, sunny. You're enjoying the work week, uh, and you like to go surfing on Fridays. Everything is just wonderful, and uh, your battalion's not deployed except one platoon. They have actually are in the Middle East and in Afghanistan. Um, you are there in California, and you get word at 5.30 in the morning that one of the Marines has actually died in combat. And you must immediately respond in your full dress uniform uh, with the team that will quickly notify the Marines next of kin. And in that situation, it's a 24-year-old uh, wife. Uh, your ministry will be to support the wife, any of her family there, as well as the Marine notification team. So I know some of these are kind of tough, but I've just given you some real, I mean, these are, this is not just my story, but these are what chaplains and just kind of what goes on often. So how would you prepare if you're gonna go be a part of a team that knocks on the door and says, I'm so sorry to, to tell you this, and how would you minister? Any, again, any, any practices that you might do um, to prepare for that, any spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, um, anything you do for your own welfare after you had done that ministry? Anything that comes to mind on this? So if you're not familiar with this situation, it's uh, at the very least, it's a service member, the one who actually does the notification with the family and says, you know, they're the one that has to actually say it, to say, uh, are you Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so? Uh, can we visit for a few minutes? And you sit down and they say, I'm, on behalf of the Grateful Nation or the Secretary of the Navy or whatever it might be, and they say, I need, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, and then they tell them, that's, that's their role as a notification officer. The chaplain is there to provide immediate spiritual care because obviously their world is completely upended, right? Dark night of the soul kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what happens. They have a thing that they practice. And some of it's been personified in the movies. I don't know if it's always like that. But there are, it gives you a real snapshot. But some of you, you know, again, this kind of happens in the military culture, but... I bet in this room, even on ministry staffs of church, you find out someone's passed away, and you are responding right then to go to the hospital or go to the home to be with people in those seasons of mourning that are very powerful. So it's not just military, but it does kind of have a certain context. Um, yeah. I had to do three of these in the first couple months on my first assignment. That really... Uh, that was overwhelming. I didn't know it. I tend to suppress my uh, emotions, particularly my just my stress. And so it, I remember it was about a month later after all that, and I had one night I watched the movie, and it just kind of all came out. But we're human too. And so what, what do we do to provide us some cures? Well, how do we get spiritual uh, good food from God 
is a part of that. So any, any one more thing on that? Yes. Well, I mean, this is maybe just kind of a given, but I have often just asked the Holy Spirit to just fill me and to give me the very right words and to fill me with the confidence that God will provide me mm-hmm. with the, um, the words and the actions yeah. and the comfort to give to them. Yeah. And uh, I just, I truly believe the Holy Spirit can put words in your mouth that you could have planned all day and never come up with. Yeah. But on a split moment, yes. they can come out and you know it was from God. Mm-hmm. That, that centering prayer time, just before you have to do something very difficult, just to directly say, God, pour your spirit within me. Put in yeah. your hands. Wonderful. Hand. Yeah. Very good. Sometimes we just react. We're not always conscious of those things, but I think those moments are very important uh, for it. So if we had time towards the end, I might come back, but I want to skip to some of the, um, some of the things about chaplains and, and uh, some of the military. So a, cha- a Navy chaplain, this is really not... This is one of those things where we're supposed to say this. There's nothing real, you know, snazzy about it. But Navy chaplains provide, facilitate, care, and advise. What that basically means is that we provide for those within our own faith tradition. So when I lead services like on ships or with Marines, I, I do that within the faith tradition, the faith group that I'm associated with. So it looks very much like a Church of Christ service on a ship. You might be surprised about that. But that's what provide means. You're providing a ministry to those that are within your faith group. At the same time, we facilitate. So there are obviously, when you think about the government or the the institution, um, you think about folks are all over the spectrum within their worldviews and their religious or not um, belief systems, right? So if I have some Jewish sailors, for instance, I, I would need to connect them with the rabbi. So they can provide that meaningful service for them. That's part of what facilitation, that's just one example. But that's part of being a Navy chaplain as well. Not just Navy, but Army and Air Force would do that too. Uh, to care. I, to me, this is maybe the most important one. Because what I love about being a chaplain is that I get to care for every single person in the military, regardless of whatever they believe. And if we've looked at the numbers on Gallupol or PewResearch.com or whatever, you know, people who are associating with well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, or I'm kind of a nun, or I'm done. But to me, it's like, okay, I hear you, but this, nothing changes with the, we get to care for folks. And so I really feel the ministry of Jesus in that, because Jesus is with everybody. Jesus is with every kind of person. So that caring for all is so central. And then finally, advise. Um, one of the things chaplains get to do is they have a direct access to the commanding officers. So what that means is if there's ever something kind of shady, going on in leadership, nothing that ever happens anyway, right? Happens <laughs> in the military too. And uh, I've been a part of this, some of those situations, but you have a direct access where you can speak truth to power. And I mean, you have to be respectful and professional, but you have a direct access to care for ethical, matter, uh, ethical matters with it too. So that's an important piece. Um, there's also another area that chaplains always have to notice confidentiality. Uh, chaplains, uh, military chaplains all, and this is by instruction, have complete confidentiality. There is not a single thing uh, that we are a mandatory reporter on. Now, sometimes folks might be like, wait a second, 
I'm just letting you know that's kind of the what it is, okay? That's a whole other class probably about confidentiality and what we think about that. But I will tell you, it provides a sacred space for someone in their most guarded, dark, hidden things in their life. And it says, I am here with you, and it, you can be trusted that it will go to no one. And uh, we can lift it up to God, obviously, as well. But it's, it's a safe, sacred space. Okay, let's have a little bit of fun here. I'm going to show you some pictures. So this is my deployment. Hopefully you can see the pictures up there. So I've, I am now in my fourth assignment. I'm going to give you a real quick run-through of some of my assignments, and you will see what that kind of looks like. And you, so you also see some sailors, and maybe also what a chaplain does, too. So I was with the Marines here at Camp Pendleton for a few years. I was with two different battalions, and um, I had a, a deployment out to sea for about six months total, and I was on four what they call amphibious ships, which means basically it's sailors and Marines together. And that's a wonderful, funny thing to watch sometimes, see how they get along. Uh, a few good men, actually, that movie, they were pretty right on some areas about how uh, sailors and Marines, whether they get along or not. But it was good stuff. And so that was my first deployment out in the Western Pacific, went to places like Okinawa, South Korea, Philippines, and Thailand. Uh, here's a little bit more on that. Most of the time there, uh, I was in the field with Marines. And one of the fun things, the first picture is me serving some chow. Uh, you get to, you know, you're right there in the dirt. I mean, I woke up one morning, there's a tarantula underneath my mat out in the desert. And part of me was thinking, what am I doing here in <laughs> my life? What have I gotten our family into? But another part of it is just like, this is, who gets to do this? It's incredible. So being with uh, about 1,200 Marines, uh, we went to the mountains at one point. This top right picture, if you can barely see it, that's where we're having communion in the field. They were kind of in their foxhole. So that's me bringing communion elements when we had a service there together. Um, I had an assistant that was with me. Um, He's also, he was also a bodyguard, which was fantastic because chaplains are non-combatants, non-combatants. And so it's nice to have someone who knows what they're doing, but I, I feel very at, at home in being a non-combatant so that others, they need to do what they do, but I can still serve them. Uh, there's a lot of hiking. We were up in the mountains, did a lot of helicopter rides. So my summary about the Marine Corps, about serving the Marine Corps is this. The focus was about their operational stress, that the things that they have to do, the things that come up the most, whether they have deployment, they gotta go to training exercises, there's so much back and forth with it all. Their relationships are continually strained, continually strained. And they have, um, but they have this strong emotional connection to a chaplain, it's always been that way. And they, every time I remember when I would come to be with the Marines, it was like family. Is that it's like they were just so glad to have you. So there is just, just know that people are really, they have the opportunities for spiritual support even when they're far away. The Marine Corps is so, it's very traditional. Uh, they have a, they're very much known for their strong leadership, that warrior ethos. Man, I couldn't stop Marines from wanting to turn to the book of Joshua or Judges. Mm -hmm. They're just like, let's talk about battles, chaplain. So we would, uh, you know, we try to work through that. But they have this warrior ethos, which is very, very well known. Uh, they work hard and they, and they play hard. Uh, they have different communities. That's not really that important. But the bottom line is they mainly support the folks that are on the ground, which is the, uh, who I was with. Um, they're, they're hardwired to fight. They just are. They are, um, 
they do what few folks would ever want to do. And that's tough. Some parts of me, I'm like, oof. I don't, you know, what about that? And then there's other parts of me, I'm like, I'm so grateful there are people who will completely put their life on the line for everybody else. So I found that with the Marines. And uh, it was quite a few years to be with them. My second assignment was up in Washington State. And that was a complete shift. So this is more of what we might call in the Navy a shore assignment. I mean, basically, you're not going to deploy. But I got to be a part of some teams where we led retreats, workshops that had to do with marriage, family, personal growth. Uh, I had a very large uh, financial budget, and we got to have a ton of retreats. It was all about reconnecting folks. Because most of the people that would go to these retreats were people who had just come back from deployment, or people who were on the rocks in their marriage or their families. And so we had a lot of different team building events. There were chapel services, um, but we had a lot of retreats. It was, a, it was a very powerful time. Great time for our family, and it was uh, a great three years for us up in Washington. We miss it greatly. My last, and the next assignment was we went to Pearl Harbor, and I was a part of a destroyer squadron. Um, what that meant was I got to spend time on 18 different destroyer ships, which is, it's not supposed to be that high, because that's really too much, but there was a lot of changing of who was in charge of who. But the bottom line is there was about 6,000 sailors that I got to be their chaplain along the way. Had two uh, deployments. There's a destroyer ship there in the middle. Uh, I got to go more places out in the Western Pacific and Southeast Asia. I got to go to places like Australia. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Federated States of Micronesia. And, but uh, being with sailors in their, I think of this kind of like the classic Navy. You think of the old school Navy, the World War II. You think about sailors going to sea on ships. That's what that assignment was. Um, when I think about ministry to sailors, you think about, again, kind of this operational stress. They come back, they get back to the pier side, and like, okay, good, we can recover. And then one few days later, or a week later, it's like, oh, this just came up. We gotta go back out to sea. And it's like, well, that wasn't all the plan. Well, that doesn't really matter, we have to go out to sea. So there's this arduous kind of sea duty that they're continually going out and coming back. Infrequent communication. One of the things that, that stood out to me when I thought about ministry, and this is like Marine Corps and probably Army, maybe Air Force as well. But you know, a lot of folks, when they go to like the Middle East for a deployment, the, there's actually pretty decent communication between them and those back home because of FaceTime, because of wireless. There's a lot more capabilities. When you're on a ship that's over the horizon and there is no GPS or there's no Wi-Fi, uh, these ships are, I think, they're almost like they're intentionally uh, old a little bit. <laughs> and so it's you would think, wow, this is state-of-the-art, right? I should be able to get my iPhone right up. No, 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 no. And so what does that mean? The bottom line is the communication between the sailors and their families is very much strained. So they're not able to get on FaceTime every day and say, hey, let me see your face. Let's, let's sing happy birthday because I know it's your birthday today. But so there might be weeks, sometimes longer, where there is just not any communication. And then, so I was just with surface ships. You think about people who are in the submarine community. That's a, that's a whole other level, right? So you think about uh, the challenges of not communicating. Uh, one of the life on a, on a ship at sea for me, when you're on a deployment, really is like the movie Groundhog Day. In fact, when we sail back east, we cross the international date line, 
they, on the ship, they actually played the movie Groundhog Day oh, uh, nonstop for two days. And it was kind of a joke, but it was actually true. It was like, this is life. Because what is life for a sailor on a ship? They get sleep with and get it. They get up and they go, here we go again. And they go get some food. They look tired and haggard. And, and then they go on watch. And they, they stand to duty. And they, and they do their job for about four hours. And they might go back to sleep. They might work out. But it's this kind of always the same kind of rhythm. And so when you think about sailors that you might know in the military, they really do have a challenge of sort of the Groundhog Day effect of how do you have meaning each day instead of the same old, same old. One of the things, too, that we talked about in one of the scenarios is this. There has been some, there was a, in the last two years, the impact of two, uh, at least two ship collisions. I think actually it's been a total of four now. But that really did a lot of, not just physical damage to ships, but that really got into the psyche of a lot of sailors. Because for one of the first times in their life, they're really thinking themselves when they go to bed at night, are we good? Are we safe? Is, there, is whoever is taking care of the ship, are they, do I trust them? They really didn't, you know, for so long, it's like, yeah, just go to bed, you know, hit the rack. But these collisions within the last couple of years really, for a while, created some anxiety. And so to me, one of, the, one of the ministry moments that was very important for me was the evening prayer at night uh, that would go uh, right, you know, lights out. And so I would try to provide a prayer that would be a, a word of comfort a word of blessing, uh, or maybe things that are coming up. So that, that evening prayer to help minister to people who are in their stress about, actually, you know, am I going to wake up tomorrow? It was kind of, it was kind of surreal and uh, very stressful for quite a while. Uh, so that's, that's more or less the, the third assignment that I had. Uh, I am currently uh, in San Diego working at a, as a hospital chaplain. I've been doing a resident program. And so I have been at the VA for six months in San Diego. I was assigned to the wards at mental health and the drug and alcohol rehabilitation program. And it was fascinating to see the folks, because before I've been with all the active duty folks, and then now I'm at the VA, and the folks who have mm-hmm. moved on in their life, how are they doing now? Mm-hmm. It was really telling another story. Um, and it's almost like I wanted to get those both communities together and say, hey, you can learn from, from, from them. And you, you can learn back from them. There should be some good dialogue. But it's been very powerful to, to minister and, and, to, and to be with people, uh, the veterans in the VA system. And then also I'm, I'm at the Navy Hospital in San Diego. I've been at pediatrics, the ICU, um, the NICU, where the little babies are working through challenges. It's, it's been a powerful ministry. So this is just kind of a snapshot of, if you've ever known chaplains, uh, or even just sailors, this is kind of a common thing that the assignments, you're there for a few years, you probably have a deployment, you might have a time back shore where you're at home for a while, but you get some training, but then you go back to sea. So it's kind of this back and forth <coughs> nature thing, and that's been true of my career as well. All right, let me give you some data. I think it's important to give you a little bit of data and some demographics. Right now, there are 1,000 Navy chaplains uh, in the Navy. That's about 800 active duty, 200 reservists. Uh, Army has at least doubled that. I don't know who they got for their their funding, Uh, but obviously there's a lot more folks in the Army, and so they need more chaplains. Uh, Air Force is just a little bit less than the Navy, so they have about 800. Uh, I am currently just one of 10 Navy chaplains uh, endorsed by Churches of Christ. Um, 
This actually got up a few. When I first got it, it was just six. So that's, hey, but, yeah, that's, that's boosting. But uh, there's about 10 Navy chaplains. Obviously, there's more, uh, mo many more in the Army and the Air Force. Um, there's, of course, there's reservists too. There is, if people are ever interested, I don't want to bore you with this, but there are requirements about becoming a chaplain, but I don't think that's why you all came here. I want to give you a little snapshot of some trends and some demographics. So one of the interesting things here, the slide shows, uh, you think about race, ethnicity, gender, uh, demographics. So you have kind of the, in the Navy officers, like everybody, and then you have the Chaplain Corps officers. And there's now, it's at a point where there is, we are kind of matching the demographics of that. So what does that mean? So almost 80% uh, officers in the Navy are male, or sorry, they're, in this one, this is uh, by race, are white, 8% uh, African-American, 5% Asian, and so forth. And that's actually pretty much the same for chaplains. We're matching that, which I think is very healthy, right? Because you, if you're going to minister in context, you know your people, how, how it is. One area that we still need to improve on more, though, is that there is, in, for gender, the, the military has many more female. Uh, there's 82% are male, 18% are female. In the Chapel Corps, we don't have 18%, it's only 12%. Um, so a little bit of disparity there. How many people are in the military? Right now, it's about 1.3 million folks. So you think about, you know, the harvest is plentiful. Or you might think about what's possible. Uh, so right now, over here, it's about 1.3 million. Now, at the end of Vietnam, that number was above 2 million. So you can see over the years uh, some of the, how that has changed. Um, so there has been some adjustment. The most recent is uh, just in the last two years, the latest snapshot. So the Army uh, has the most percentage, they have about 36, almost 37, about... 471,000 navies next. Air Force is real close right by and the Marine Corps. Unfortunately, I don't have the data for Coast Guard. I feel really bad about that because my dad is here and he was in the Coast Guard. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get a talking to when this is all over. Um, but I love my Coasties. Uh, one of the, here's another interesting data point. When you think about who's serving today, okay? When you think about the different services, Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force again, how young or old are they? One of the interesting things about, you know, for chaplains, they serve with Marines. This, the, what this slide here shows is that about 85% of all the Marines that are serving right now that are enlisted, actually this is enlisted and officers, about 85% of the Marines are ages 29 and younger. Mm. 29 and younger, uh, it's about 85% of the whole Marine Corps. Just think about how young folks are out there trying to get, be ready to fight. You think a lot of those homes, whether or not they're really set up for resilience and how to deal with things in a healthy, emotional way. Some are, some not, right? So you think about, and the Marine Corps is kind of stretched on that one, but the other services are pretty similar. The Army, Navy, and Air Force, it's around mm, almost 70% are ages 29 and younger. Um, but it's pretty young. It's a, it's a young person's game, as they say. All right? Let me skip that slide. Uh, where do folks join? You think about all the service members. Well, 
Obviously, the big states are going to have more people because you have places like California and Texas. But places like, you know, Georgia, which has a lot, but they're pretty competitive. So I don't know wherever you're from, what state, but you can find this research uh, online. Uh, and they, but it's kind of telling to see where do folks join from, and you know how does that uh, how does that match up? But there's just a few that stand out here. The lowest, of course, is Washington D.C., which is really no surprise. Um, again, I, I, I've been thinking more and more about female um, service members and them feeling welcomed into the community. You know, we've been talking even at this, at Pepperdine this week, about, um, there's been some classes about, uh, you know, male and female. I, I know one of the speakers, uh, I think it was last night, Sarah, talking about David and Bathsheba, right? So we've been having those things, you know, when I think about the military service, how are women being treated? How, how are they feeling comfortable in this environment? It's interesting that if you look at just the Navy alone, at the end of Vietnam, about 7.5% of all of the enlisted recruits that were female in the Navy was about 7.5%. Now, that number is almost 25%. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty significant growth. Maybe not where some of you might want, I don't know. But I think there are a lot more, uh, some good trends with that. Um, I'm going to skip that slide. So let me give a summary on some of that data. So overall, 15% of all of the Department of Defense um, personnel are women. So about 15% are women. That's up from 11% in 1990. 17% um, of active duty officers were female, and that's up from the share of 12% in 1990. So I think there are some trends that are, that are happening that are, in my eyes, that are positive for that. Because it's so important that people feel welcomed and safe and good about their work, whether that's race, whether that's gender, um, across the board, people, people want to serve and so that they feel uh, affirmed to do that. What, we've been talking a lot about active duty but also about veterans. One of the interesting things that I learned about the veterans at the VA is that now so much more of the kind of um, people that are kind of the largest percentage, it really is kind of Gulf War. Um, it's not just Gulf War, but you just think about how our, you know, the years go. They're higher and higher. So when I was growing up and I'm thinking about folks who are coming back from Vietnam, uh, but now Gulf War, and then it's soon we'll be having folks more and more from Iraq and Afghanistan, OIF, OEF. But you see some some trends there about you know what and each each what the reason I wanted to share this was that when you think about these folks in your churches, they have different stories based upon those experiences. If you've talked with someone who was from a Vietnam War experience, and you talked with someone who was, say, World War II, there's a decent chance that they might have different stories and experiences about how they were received uh, about their service and how that has affected their overall spiritual wellness in the life of the church. Um, what, I have seen, what I've seen is that veterans are finding meaningful places to connect and share those stories. And a lot of times, that's not always at the church. And I, I would love, for, and I don't know if it's possible, maybe it's too Pollyanna, but I would love for the church to try to explore a little more options about how can we find more 
meaningful ways to create some sacred space for people to feel just as much like their story has importance too. Because anyone can celebrate, hey, we won, or it's, it was good. But it's much harder when things are challenging. So, it's, it, um, so I think that's, a, that's an important part about people feeling welcome to our communities. I'm gonna skip that slide. One, uh, for our veterans, one of the things they talk about a lot about is they've been noticing that even in our political system, that there are drops and drops of political representation of people who have ever served. Mm -hmm. And that's affecting. So again, there's just some trends, and uh, it's not everybody, but there has been a downward over the years, like less and less people in the politics. And you might think that, that matters too much, but it definitely does when it comes around for election years. Um, it's very interesting being at the VA when um, this administration has been and uh, the conversations that have been going on about that. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to, this is going to be recorded, so I'm not going to share everything about that. But it's been very interesting to see how connected to that they are or maybe how resistant to that they are. It just kind of depends who you talk to. But that's an important part of how do they make sense of their identity because so much of people in the military, they, they have such an identity connection with the military. So they wonder, people who are supposed to represent them, do they speak on their behalf? Okay. Some, some takeaways and observations, and I'll give some time for some questions. You might want to talk about some other things, and that, that's fine too. But I, some, I want to say that when I look at the service members, I see them as warriors, but I absolutely remember their humanity. I, when I see them, I see that they are my neighbors. I see the folks that I was with in high school that just say, hey, I just, I just want to serve for a while. And before I joined, I would have no connection to them at all. I wouldn't even understood that world. But the longer I've been with them, the more human that they are to me. They, they grieve, they celebrate, they have family, they, they have songs that mean a lot to them, they have rituals that are powerful for them. All these, they're, they're, they're human, they're human. But they, but they are warriors, but they're very much human. I try to remember that in my ministry. Um, they are longing for a healthy community. So much of the back and forth, you know, we've, we've moved several times. Uh, Lucy has been at least her eighth, maybe ninth school now uh, in several of the moves. And when, we've, when you bounce around a lot, you long for connection, healthy community, and that's hard to get. Um, and I, so what I think service members, when they are in your communities and they visit your church on a Sunday, um, I think, this is my, just my interpretation from my perspective, but I think they don't want one of these two extremes. I think too many times in churches, we either ignore service members because we're like, I don't know what to do with you. It's kind of different. Or we just kind of champion that so much. It's a whole other side. And I guess what I'm trying to, to offer is to say, maybe there is another option somewhere along the way where it doesn't have to be, I don't know you, I don't get you, I don't know, you're talking those military acronyms, I don't understand it. Or it doesn't have to be this kind of this thing where God and country and patriotism and nationalism is so fused together we can't separate it. And I guess I'm trying to say maybe there's somewhere along the way in the middle, not was exactly in the middle, but a way that they can be connected, that they can find healthy community. Uh, they do have complex schedules. They're often not reliable for things that we might want because they might have to go to sea or deployments or they have to move suddenly, their orders change, whatever it is. 
Um, one other point I want to make is this. I tr really tried on this presentation to think, what is the one formula that I could say, here you go, about people in the military? I am convinced there is just not one. And I think you probably know that too. When you think about people in the military, they have so many different things going on in their lives. Some of them are single, some are married, some are divorced. Just take that one particular focus, and you know that they are probably needing different things. Someone who is recently divorced is going to likely be needing some totally different than someone who's having the good years of marriage, right? That's just one area. Well, think about if they have children. That's a whole other layer. What about their service branch? Different branches of the service have different ways that they do business. Right? We've been talking about the Navy, the Marines primarily, but the, each of the services have their unique slice of how their own culture is. So that affects things, what they're looking for. Um, even within those own samples, like within the Navy. Within the Navy, there are a lot of different kinds of rates or jobs or officer corps or whatever it is. So even within one service, there's like the submarine sailors, there's the surface, there's the air community, you know, the aviation gonna do their thing. You got the SEALs. I mean, there are so many complex layers. Let's go even further. They all got different personality types, right? If you ever done a Myers-Briggs, or if you've done the Enneagram, or whatever it is, if you need those things, you know there's, there's a lot more going on, right? So they need different things. Um, they might have a different assignment. They're, some of them are deploying, not deploying. So all that to say is that I don't think there's one perfect formula. Like here is how we boom our churches with the military. I don't think that exists. What I do think could be happening are some simple connections with them. If it's nothing else, it's just some, I think it's sometimes it's as simple as this, is to try to practice some kind of hospitality with them in a simple way. That is not just over the top kind of champion so much, but it's not neglected. But it's a way that says, hey, let's, let's get some coffee. Why don't we have a meal together? Well, tell me your story. Because I don't want to assume what I think you need or don't need. I would love for you to tell me what, what matters to you. You know, are you looking for this type of church or certain ministries, whatever it is? But to have this beginning conversations where you were just neighbors together would be such a wonderful beginning point. I, 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 for me, that's what I look for, at least. Uh, and I think when I talk with our, our service members, they kind of amen, they nod the head when I say things like that. They're like, yeah, that's kind of, we just want something like that. It's not something so high or neglected. It's because sometimes when military people go to church, <laughs> it's like there is this moment and there are people who just kind of jump on them. And it's, it's out of a place of love, but it's, it's kind of almost so overwhelming. It's like, and it gets such high, high visit, visibility. And for some of those folks, they, they just don't seem to want that. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be forgotten, but they just want to find a meaningful connection that they could be part of the faith community with you locally. Um, and they represent absolutely today's postmodern generation. The younger this military is, the more and more they reflect uh, today's culture, whether that's in worldview, diversity, and, I mean, all of it. I mean, they are, uh, when I'm with these sailors on ships, I, I joke around with other chaplains and I say, man, these, these are just, these are just American kids just a little bit older. They're just American kids a little bit older that, they're, uh, that can, they can serve now. It's like your old high school teammate, your old high school classmates, they just, they're just doing this line of work. All right, final slide. Um, 
from a chaplain standpoint, I just want to say one or two, a couple things about chaplains that I think too, that chaplains just want to be a part of a local church. They have, some people want to be super involved. Some people are very busy and they can only do so much. Um, I, I just want to be a teammate with the church. Uh, I, I, one thing also about chaplains is that I believe chaplains also have to wrestle with politics, views on war, patriotism, the institution, all that stuff. It's very challenging right now uh, in our culture. So there's a lot of us and them on, on whatever side it is, but it's hard to kind of wrestle through that with some good dialogue. But I, I think chaplains really try to do that too, that we're not so married to the institution that we can't think for ourselves. Um, and then finally, everything has shaped me. I didn't join until I was 33. Um, all of these different experiences over the years, whether it's my college experiences at Hardy and ACU, different churches growing up, I have, I have a lot of Church of Christ background, and I feel very much that that is a meaningful part for me uh, in my spiritual journey, and so I hope to continue that and to, um, to continue on with that, and it's, it's, it's brought a tremendous meaning for me. Uh, my main focus is still where it all began, to serve this segment of the population that uh, puts their life on the line every day. Okay, so that was just, you know, 55 minutes, and it's hard to kind of get everything in 55 minutes, it's really impossible. But I'll open it just for a few minutes here, we got time for any questions on whether that's about chaplain, or about the military, or local church things, or anything that we might have touched on at all. Yes? Okay. Kevin, I got a question. Can you uh, talk to us about the effects of uh, on family and wives, especially those left behind as you go to sea or as you go to war, uh, not only for you as a chaplain in your family, but for those that you minister to, and the pluses and minuses of communications that we have today rather than 20 or 30 years ago where there were letters and you got the fourth letter before you got the first letter and when you were at sea, that sort of stuff. Just yeah. the pressures put on family you, the dad, were cutting the grass, and now you're not there. Right. You were doing that sort of thing on family. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, so basically the pressures uh, about when you're going out to sea or on deployment, and that, what is that like for the family, for the chaplain, for the service members, and mm -hmm. those back home. And dealing with how you deal with that. And how you deal with that. So how do I deal with it? Me, personally, as well? With you personally and with your family, and how do you deal with those you're comforting? Yeah. So what I... I think if I remember, I hope I did this. I mean, I have accountability here because my wife is here and, and family, so they could tell me if I didn't do this. But it, it, I think, you know, when you see something coming down the road, it, you have to really make that time, take that time, and protect that time because time is no longer a luxury. And so you, you, you try to, whether that's two weeks of leave, whether that is uh, going on a special trip, whether that's taking, you know, um, a date night, I remember with my Marine Battalion, we, we did a, uh, we tried to do a sort of a pre-deployment marriage workshop. The first one I did was, that was my first tour, I wasn't that good at it. I like to think I got better over the years, but some kind of thing to say, hey, this is coming, so let's try to build some rapport together. And that I find the military are really hungry for that. They really want to get strengthened before the, the operational readiness stuff comes. When you're out at sea, Again, I, I think for, it's, it depends on what kind of communication you got. If it's on ships, it is slim to none. It's when they get to a port, 
it's they'll call and say, hey, I have Wi-Fi for like 10 minutes, and let's talk. And if that's all they, that's all they got. But that's better now than it used to be, the old snail mail days. Um, when you mail something on a ship, because another ship will come alongside you and you get resupplied, and it's kind of a fun thing to watch. But they'll take your mail, they'll give you gas, they'll give you food, but they'll take your mail. I remember there, one of the things I think I sent to Jenny on deployment, it actually arrived maybe even after I got home. I don't know. But it was like, it's those things you think are reliable, it's going to get there. And so I would talk with Marines and sailors. On, I would do a lot of classes on the ship, too, about love languages, things that they could learn about themselves. Um, some of them would do the United Through Reading program. They'd record. And so I would try to do things also in the middle of deployment or out at sea where you're doing some gestures to say, hey, I'm gone, but you are always on my mind, always on my mind, to put it one way, right? For the folks back home, some families I've found don't want a whole lot of help. Um, some already have a lot of, maybe they might have in-laws and other relatives with them, so they have a lot of supports. But they, you know, to set up before deployment some meaningful caregivers, some trusted caregivers, particularly, who can help with some of those other things. But uh, the reality is, is both people in the family, the service members has to kind of go on, and the family has to go on. They're both going on just kind of separately Nothing just stays in a vacuum time, and then we, you know, and then we pick up where we left off six months ago. It doesn't work like that. We have to find meaningful ways along the way. And you mentioned caregivers. That's where the church can be an extremely yes. large help. Yeah. Yeah. If they would. Mm-hmm. Priscilla. I just wanted to ask about, like, if you have talked with like, Navy members about, you know, what they need from local churches, or how how can local churches provide them. Yeah. What, so what they're looking for from local churches? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're less, I mean, when I talk to them, they, they, they're not really interested in doctrine stuff so much. It's not that no one is interested in it at all, but they're looking for a place that will allow them to be searching and connecting with the faith community. So for some of them, that does look like, you know, small groups. For some folks, they're so busy that they just can't do that. Um, but it's hard because less and less people are going to church these days. And that's definitely true in the military. Definitely true in the military. So, Ruth? Um, you do, I know you do a lot of like, uh, counseling for the military. I don't know about the name. Do you have, do you have a person to go to, you know, like, you see a lot of the same, you receive a lot of, uh, you know, grief or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you have do you have someone also that can provide you or to other counselors or chaplain yeah. to go to? Yeah. So I yes, there there are there are more resources and, and opportunities I think than we realize. I had a chaplain that I went to for every for every two weeks when I was in Washington, mm -hmm. and that was one of those powerful ministries to me. Um, so that was that's just one example. There's a lot of chaplains. There's there's a lot of free counseling. People who are specialized in certain skill sets, whatever topic that might be. So yeah, I, it's as easy as saying, "Would you like that?" If it's yes, then that's those, those resources can be a plenty for sure. So maybe one more here. Yes. We had uh, a couple who a guy was in 
the service, I don't know what branch. And he was off wherever he was. And his wife was concerned. I remember this. She was a little concerned when he came back that he was going to have to learn how to drive again mm -hmm. and how to. So, how do you prepare the guys when you're coming home? We're coming home? To do those menial things. Sure. So, one of the things the military is intentional about, and I don't think this is just Navy, I think it's across the board, is they do return and reunion preparation. In the last month, particularly the last two weeks, they are going to a lot of classes and a lot of things to say, okay, let's talk about getting back into a budget. How do you do that with your spouse? Uh, when you're going home, you're gonna see your kids. How old are they? How are they probably emotionally? You know, how, what has your spouse been, they've been doing great work, do you realize? I mean, there's a lot of classes where they will kind of start detaching from the, the operational mission and they will get very focused on it. So I think today, I've seen that they really make great effort on that. That's been very encouraging. So chaplains are a part of that process too. I've done a lot of those classes, it's good, it's good stuff. Okay, thank you so much. Stick around for a little bit, bless you. Thanks for coming today. Thank you. Thank you very much.